All right, welcome back to our first edition of the Bills Beat uh, podcast. While in the middle of training camp 2019, what is this? Our third training camp doing the pod now? I feel like it is second. Second, I think, because we didn't start doing it until, until the season, right before okay. week one, right? Okay. in 2017. All right, so second training camp, but uh, we are now three practices into camp, so I fe- figured it's a good time to kind of gauge what's happened. We saw our first padded practice uh, just a couple hours ago. Um, and with the first two days of work, which are essentially just a, an expansion of spring workouts. I know I'm a much better reporter when pads come on. I personally. as am I. You wear shoulder pads out there, which yes. is which is a bit odd. But <laughs> thigh pads, th- thigh pads, the whole the whole nine yards. But uh, but yeah, the the uh, the knee pads were a little bit too much. I think. It, yeah, I'll probably scale it back. Okay, you know? all right, that's good. Maybe shells next time. So the Bills. Are into it. They've been relatively healthy. The only thing, uh, the only injury that kind of got them so far was Jason Kroom suffered a hamstring injury, which means the only two players injured on their roster right now are both tight ends. Um, but that said, I think we had uh, coming into this a lot of intrigue slash uh, just wonder about what this offense is going to look like. These are effectively the first three practices that we've seen where Josh Allen has had all four of his top four practicing. Because at one point or another during the spring, one of Brown, Beasley, Foster, Jones, or a combination of those names were not practicing. Um, And that led to a lot of opportunities for younger guys, but it's not about the younger guys or the, the bottom roster guys. It's about those core four guys. And I have to say... After the, the last two days, essentially, um, I, you know, John Brown's kind of been a standout so far. He's he's running his routes really damn well, and um, he's tracking the ball well. Josh Allen seems like he's going for him a bunch. It seems like, and you know, don't want to get too high too early in training camp here, but John Brown can win in a lot of different areas, and uh, he runs a lot of routes that Josh Allen likes to throw. Yeah, I thought in the spring you saw hints of him being, you know, the clear-cut best receiver on the field, and he wasn't on the field all the time, and we only see one practice a week, so it was hard to know how much to read into it. But now three practices in a row he's been, you know, once again clearly the top receiver on the field, and if there is a number one receiver on this team, it's him. And you know, I know a lot of people, there's a lot of debate over, you know, the idea of a number one receiver and whether you need one or whether guys just need to play different roles or whatever else. But this guy, I would think is if he stays healthy, he's going to lead the team in targets. I feel a lot better about, you know, saying the other day before camp started that he'll be the guy that leads the team in receiving yards because his, you know, air yards per target here in camp is off the charts. It seems like I know. half the throws are going 40, 50 yards down the field, including two of them today. And he tracks the ball really well on deep passes. And so Josh doesn't have to be perfect, you know, hitting him down the field, although he's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. But he's also, you know, doing a lot of work in the, the intermediate areas of the field that, you know, I think the Bills – left a lot of yards on the table there last year in the passing game just because of their limitations at wide receiver. And, you know, John Brown has been a guy over the course of his career who is probably 
not gotten the production that he's deserved because of situations, whether being behind Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona or, you know, dealing with, you know, change at quarterback, which he did in Baltimore and Arizona at times. So still some potential for him to, you know, be even more productive than he's been during his career. And, you know, we'll see how it progresses, whether he stays healthy and if, if Josh Allen can take the type of jump to get the most out of John Brown, but so far so good. Yeah, it really has been. And if I know there's a lot of folks out there who have wanted to see Robert Foster be integrated into this offense more uh, prominently, uh, even with the presence of Brown and Beasley on the roster. But with, I mean, when you look at how this is shaping up right now, I think smartly. On, on their behalf because Foster isn't all the way there just yet. He's not a finished product by any means. He is the fourth wide receiver by a lot, and but he also plays, a th- or where he would want to play, a very similar game to um, to John Brown. You know, they, they have a difference in size and everything along those lines, but when you have guys who win the same way, at the, at the beginning of John Brown's career, it was... Deep, deep threat, deep threat, deep threat, and that's how he kind of burst onto the scene a lot the way that Robert Foster did last year. Um, but then John Brown started working on all the other areas of his game, and he's become a damn good intermediate route runner where he's, he's making people look silly out there. So I think because Foster isn't all the way there with with the position, the, the technical aspects of it, um, you know, and we've almost seen through the first few days – the gap that lies between John Brown and Robert Foster. A perfect example is just as simple as today. John Brown had two deep ball opportunities. He had to contort his body a couple of different times and track the ball over the shoulder. And one was on a was one on a deep flag route to the left sideline, and the other one um, was just a was a straight out uh, along the right sideline. And and he. He found it and brought it in, and but that's something that Robert Foster has kind of had trouble with in his career, and we saw it today where there was a there was a couple of deep passes thrown his way, one he didn't even contest for, and the other um, it was broken up I think by Kevin Johnson I want to say so yeah two of the both of those were very catchable yeah uh, I don't know if both hit him in the hands but they could have or should have the first one didn't and, because he didn't go up for it and Levi Wallace swatted it away and it was I believe it was Ke- yeah it was. Or no, it was... Um, was it Levi again? It was Levi Wallace in coverage on the... Oh, no, that was on a, a John Brown one. Yeah, it was Kevin Johnson. Yeah. And, um, you know, I. but those are plays where... I think we saw that last season, is if mm-hmm. he didn't have, you know, a cushion of separation, the contested situations were not his strong point. And, you know, to his credit, he's fast enough to get that separation down the field and you know, put some distance between him and the corner and make some of those plays. But you didn't see a whole lot of yards in other situations for him. Um, And that doesn't mean that he's a bad player or that Mm -hmm. he can't eventually develop that part of his game. It just means that the Bills were smart to go out and get a guy who can do those things in John Brown. And not only a guy who can do those things, but a guy who can help teach Robert Foster how to do those things so that maybe in year, you know, late in year two or year three, you see a more complete Robert Foster as you know you know John Brown starts to get uh, older here in a couple of years you know maybe by year four Robert Foster 
is a much better player because John Brown's around to mm-hmm. not only reduce Foster's role, but, you know, show him a thing or two about how to play the position. So I think it should be taken as a, a positive that Robert Foster is the number four receiver because it's the best for his long-term development and it's the best for this team in the short term. Yeah, absolutely agree on both of those uh, assessments there. Um, but I think one of the positives about this is that Josh Allen is finding a rapport with both of these guys. I mean, John Brown is the big one here because that's going to be, you know, he has a pretty strong um, a strong chance to be their top target and top uh, receiving leader uh, on the team this year and for him and Josh Allen or for Josh Allen to be looking his way as much as he has through the early part of summer those are encouraging signs um, you know same way that and he's putting it on the money to both Brown and Foster so his timing is good with those guys the the one area that he's going to have to work on is his timing with two other receivers which is Zay Jones and Cole Beasley I mean, because Zay Jones has been really quiet. He like has yesterday in my notes. I was asking you. I, I think he got a target at some point, and you know, I may have missed it, or it may have been during seven on sevens. But he is lagging behind the other three receivers, really, in terms of targets. However, um, I think part of that is is due to the routes that they're asking him to run, because Josh doesn't like throwing those a right. ton. And and I can't. I mean, the last two days, I distinctly remember probably Chad Hall, maybe somebody else calling out great route Zay. Like, so he's working and he's doing all the things they want him to, but you know, he's not the deep threat. That's not his game. He's more of the intermediate target. um, Not a ton of yards per catch. That's not Zay Jones. Same deal with Cole Beasley and Cole and Allen has made an effort to get uh, Beasley a little bit more. He's touching his way a lot. Yeah. Um, But, and it's not always working. It's not, they're not, really on the same page but he has Josh Allen has a tendency to be I'm going to look for this 50 yard bomb or Mm -hmm. I'm just going to dump it off Mm -hmm. and Beasley's obviously the one working underneath and and yeah Zay Jones is not going to get you know the way Josh Allen operates at the moment at this stage in his career he's looking for guys that are open um, and rather than throwing guys open or squeezing it in and Zay Jones isn't a guy that generates a ton of separation because he's not as quick and fast as John Brown or mm-hmm. not as quick underneath as Cole Beasley. So, yeah, you're right. It's not really a Zay Jones problem uh, at the moment. It's not necessarily a Josh Allen problem because he's playing pretty well. He's just going to to what he likes and what's his bread and butter, and it's not Zay Jones at the moment, which, again, kind of shows that you know, the Bills were pretty self-aware scouting themselves this offseason and the type of players that they brought in uh, to, you know, kind of accentuate Josh Allen's strengths. He's also looking the tight ends way a lot. He's mm-hmm. Andre Roberts is making some plays over the middle of the field. He's been involved. So, you know, I think it may come for Zay Jones, and it may be a situation where when they start to play against other teams and it's live action, he goes to a guy that he's worked with the most. But I think it should be a good sign that he's trusting or at least trying to develop that chemistry with guys he hasn't worked with as opposed to Zay Jones, who he's been with for over a year now. Yeah, that's fair. I think the only reason um, for perhaps some pessimism in that respect would be that 
Josh Allen really hasn't targeted Zay Jones in a big way since the two have been together. And that is partially, I, I guess, um, disheartening for fans. Uh, but I, I recall just something we said a moment ago. Okay, It's not a Josh Allen problem, and it's not a Zay Jones problem, but it's very much a Buffalo Bills problem because he was their second-round pick, and they need to get him involved or else they need to move on and find receivers that can get involved with Josh Allen. And that's why the rubber's going to meet the road at some point this year because it's the third season. There's no more hiding for Zay Jones. We said it all off season that this is a, an absolutely vital year for him moving forward. And the fact that, you know, he's he's done all the right things. He he, he does things the right way that, that they want him to on and off the field, um, I guess, in terms of keeping his, his body right, you know, last offseason notwithstanding where he had the incident that we all know about. But, you know, he's working hard. He's, he's running the routes the way that they want, want him to. But his routes just don't speak to Josh Allen right now, I think, is part of the hang-up. And I think another there has to be thing, some, something, some sort of pairing here. Another, in defense of Zay Jones, not to be a Zay Jones apologist, but he's seeing more of Tredavious White than John Brown is yeah, that's at the fair. moment. That and is very fair. That could be a tendency for Josh Allen to just look away from Tredavious White, which is what a lot of cornerbacks do, especially when on the other side you have Levi Wallace, who's uh, still, you know, had a good finish to the season, but still a little bit unproven, and and Kevin Johnson, who's a new face, and probably your better receiver in John Brown going up against those guys for most of practice, right. in that, you know, that might be part of why, A, Zay Jones isn't getting the separation that he probably should, and B, why Josh Allen isn't going to test it on, on Tredavious White. And I've always also thought, and they've never really gone this direction, but I've always wondered, you know, right when they drafted him if Zay Jones would be a guy that would fit in the slot because he played all five positions at ECU and the way he plays the game and the the you know skill set that he has in terms of athletic traits you know like we mentioned he doesn't get a great deal of separation on the boundary at least not in a hurry and so for guys like that sometimes the the move is to put them in the slot, but they've never really tried that with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've always wanted to make him a boundary guy, and he's not quite the type of slot guy that Cole Beasley is, obviously. Beasley plays the game a different way, but some of those bigger slot guys can be weapons, uh, and I think it might be a way to, you know, manufacture some separation for Zay Jones, and he's, you know, a little bit tough after the catch because he's physical, and um, he, he can be tough to bring down, and um, he's not terrible in contested situations. So I think there are ways to get him involved, and, and you know maybe things will be a little bit different when, when Tredavious White isn't all over him because Tredavious White is very much still Tredavious White entering mm-hmm. year three. Yeah, he's, he sure is, and it seems like he – just to get off on a Tredavious White tangent, if he adds the turnover part to his game, he's going to – start making all of those top 10 cornerback in the list or in the league lists because he's uh he certainly has all the ability and and certainly the opportunity is there as well you just have to see him force some turnovers from this point forward but so the receivers are are a major talking point in this camp and we'll we'll continue to dig into those as as we kind of go along just because you know if 
John Brown can, continues to separate himself from the other guys. I also have to say, the only person that I can I can relate Cole Beasley's ability to get off the line of scrimmage without using his arms against a cornerback. There's there's only one player I can relate him to, and that's Stevie Johnson. I mean, the dude knows how to set cornerbacks up with his feet and just leaves them in the dust and where where he's where his body looks like it's going and he's he's like three moves ahead of the defender and it's fun to watch. He's not going to be a big yards after the catch guy, but watching him work is extraordinarily fun, especially in a one-on-one setting in training camp. Yeah, and that's what that's what, like I'm not surprised at all that he and Josh Allen aren't on the same page yet because you know, there is a degree of concern that his size is not a good match for Josh Allen's lack of pinpoint accuracy. Mm-hmm. But there's also Which is fair. an element to playing slot receiver where you're not in the same way other guys are maybe running to a spot. You're finding areas of the field and you got you have to see the same thing that the quarterback's seeing. You know, the receiver and quarterback really have to be in sync with how they see the game what they pick up on from a cornerback, where they like the football. All those things take time, and Cole Beasley was barely on the field in the spring. So it's not a shock, and they're working on it. They've, you know, they're constantly in each other's ear um, when you know, they're not on the field taking reps. And so it's something that will take a little bit of time, and it's such a nuanced position to play the way that Cole Beasley plays it, like you're talking about. You know, you're not running the route the same way every time necessarily mm-hmm. because you're trying to deceive cornerbacks. You just have to make sure you're not also deceiving your own quarterback. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a I guess a tightrope that had to be walked by Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was here, and and he found incredible chemistry with Stevie Johnson as the years kind of went along, and and of course Stevie Johnson had two straight uh, thousand yard seasons because of it. Um, but it's very similar the way those two and work right off the line of scrimmage and don't need their physicality to do it. So that just wanted to pass that along. All right, let's delve into the offensive line because it's been the other huge talking point as we've gone in besides the wide receivers and, and Josh Allen, obviously. But um, the O-line has been, has been surprisingly stagnant in how little movement there has been. I mean, every single day, Four of the five have been the same. It has been Deion Dawkins at left tackle, uh, Quentin Spain at left guard, Mitch Morse at center, and Cody Ford at right tackle. Now this is with the first-team offense. And we've seen now three practices. The first practice, John Feliciano was at right guard. The second practice, Spencer Long was at right guard. And the third practice, it was John Feliciano again. Which leads me to believe that perhaps there weren't as many of open spots as we initially perceived. Yeah, I, you know, Quentin Spain seems like he would need to screw something up to be I know. to not be the left guard, and unless they start cross training guys a little bit more, his only competition is Wyatt Teller, and Quentin Spain has a, a better track record in the league than Teller does, and then at right guard, it's just two veterans going at it, and mm-hmm. and Feliciano and Spencer Long. And whoever doesn't get it would seemingly be the third guard. Um, and Spencer Long is perfect for that because he can also play center. And you could probably, you could even keep Wyatt Teller, move on from Russell Bodine. Spencer Long can be a backup at a couple spots. 
the question for me and the, the one curiosity I have about the offensive line is Ty and Seke yeah. because he looks fine. Uh, we've seen and, and heard about the way he played left tackle in Washington when called upon. And to me, I just think, you know, he deserves a bit more of a look. Now, it may be a situation where they say, we kind of know what we have in Ty and Seke. Let's keep the young guys out there and let them try to earn these jobs. And if they don't, then, you know, Ty and Seke could step in at either spot. He's played both left tackle and right tackle in the first three days and, you know, frankly, probably, you know, deserves a shot to run with the ones a little bit more than he has. There's talk, there's, the staff has been open about the possibility of either Dawkins or Ford moving to guard if need be. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, the other question then becomes, are either Dawkins or Ford an upgrade? Uh, over at guard? The, at guard. Maybe Ford would be an upgrade at right guard because mm-hmm. they have some uncertainty there. Mm-hmm. But would Dawkins be an upgrade over Quentin Spain? I mean, I think Spain's looked pretty good. Man, uh, that's, a one damning, day that's a damning thing to Deion Dawkins' career, though. It right would there. be. But, you know, you're talking about Deion Dawkins, a guy who has not played guard in a couple of years. Yeah, that's and, true. you know, if you're going to make a move to either put Deion Dawkins or Cody Ford at guard, it's not I know it's early in camp but you have to do it sooner rather than later because they're mm-hmm. going to have to learn how to play that position and I know they both have experience with it but it's it's not like a game of Madden where you just move guys around and you know the guys need reps and they need to get used to that spot and the the five guys need to get used to playing together uh in those spots as well so I don't know it, it's that's really my main curiosity along the offensive line because Otherwise, if it's the way that it is, it's still a good situation because Nseke, while highly paid, is a good option as a swing tackle. And, and he's been working at both left and right through training camp so, so he, far. He, you know, he can play both. They're working him at both. And mm-hmm. so he's a good insurance option if either guy gets hurt or either guy disappoints and you need to you know, light a fire under him. And then you've got Spencer Long who... You know, can and Feliciano actually took reps at center as well yeah. during uh, the spring. Hasn't I don't think I've seen him do a ton of it so far yet. But you know, at least you've got some versatility and some options. But I'm curious to see what they end up doing with with Inseke because they paid him a good amount of money. Yeah, after watching the first few practices, I have to say I I have not liked Feliciano. I think um, he's it's either he's he he gets you a win or it's a pretty bad beat with him and that that much variance scares me um it seems like spencer long has kind of steadied the ship a bit more there but um when you but the real thing i wanted to get into was cody ford and he's young into his career and don't get me wrong it takes offensive linemen some time to to get themselves to a spot where they're consistently performing and i i felt yesterday the day two of camp was his best day of all the spring practices and the training camp practices that i had seen to that point because he was he was going toe-to-toe with trent murphy it looked like he kind of got it a little bit but he has left a bit to be desired for me at right tackle, specifically specifically in the spring. Um, Trent Murphy had his number for most of those practices. And, and Murphy was in the backfield a bit today yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, today... Not that he's a slouch, but right. I mean, that's what you're going to... You're going to go up against a lot of Trent Murphys if you, you win that job. And 
it's the way that he's being beaten that worries me. It's usually out wide. And that was a concern with him, whether or not he could play tackle in, in, the, uh, in the league to begin with. And then it kind of reached a, a maximum for me when on a one-on-one rep, I want to get this right, who it was. Uh, let's see, Murphy got him. And then Daryl Johnson, the seventh-round pick, got him with a speed move. And that, I mean, Daryl Johnson, he, he's a bit, he moves a bit better than I thought he would. Uh, but it's not to say he's this nuanced defensive end that has all these pass rush moves. They're just beating, beating him to the edge. And that's a little, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. Now I'm not going to absolutely write him off by any means because at any point a second round player could get it. But I would be lying if I didn't have the thought roll through my mind like, what would he look like at right guard right now? Would he be better suited? Because if if guys try to go into the pads or they try to go with an inside move, they're done. That's that's uh, he's a good player there. But when they head head to the outside, there's some trouble there. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I I'm eager to see more from Cody Ford to see if he can kind of turn it on and figure it out because there is a bit of a learning curve when you're playing offensive tackle in the NFL. But I always I this won't leave the back of my mind. The until we start seeing some tangible results of him not, you know, being susceptible to being beaten on the outside. I mean, it it's always going to be there. What would he look like just one spot over? And they don't have a situation where they're going from Cody Ford to Connor McDermott, they have one yeah. where they could plug Enseke in yep. there and, you know, know what you're going to get uh, with a guy like that. So the the speed thing is something that definitely takes a little bit of time for guys to get adjusted to. You Absolutely. Know, those first few days you might, you know, be used to coming out of your stance one way in college and all of a sudden, you know, guys are just that much faster and it can make you look way out of place. But you're right, at some point he's got to catch up. And mm-hmm. same thing, like I said, with Dawkins. You know, if you're going to move him to guard, then at some point, you know, it becomes there's a balance there where you say, all right, we have to get him over there to get reps there and get used to that because that's a different animal altogether. Uh, you're not, you know, you're talking about different footwork and everything else. So it's a, a balancing act of trying to, you know, give him enough of a a rope at right tackle for him to come along and develop because he's a second round pick while also, you know, capitalizing on, on the window of time you have to move him inside and let him, you know, make some noise there as well. I I feel a little bit better about him moving into guard um, and picking it up quickly than I do Deion Dawkins because he's not as far removed from playing guard as Deion Dawkins is. And I also think his skill set uh, fits nicely there. So that I don't think would be a huge problem. But I do like Inseke a little better at left tackle than right tackle. It's just a matter – he's still pretty good at, at right tackle too. And they, mm-hmm. they paid him good money. So it could just be they're, they're waiting for the, the moment where they, they don't have a choice but, but to put him in. Yeah, and I don't want this to be misconstrued. I'm not writing Cody Ford off from right tackle. I just – I think we would be doing a disservice to not mention that there have been some struggles there with one particular thing. And, you know, trying to figure out what the team does before the team does it is part of the gig here. Um, so, you know, he's he's going to get the time. And, you know, Brian Dable made that abundantly clear. While he didn't necessarily rule out the idea of, of Cody Ford moving inside, I mean, he did say that, you know, they, they want to see what he could do at right tackle right now. And, and, and so... 
we're going to continue to see that. I would anticipate we continue to see that at least through the first preseason game, unless he's just something drastically is going going wrong. But you know, it's it's something to kind of keep an eye on here, and I'll continue to track it as we go along. But you know, I just just want to see just want to see a little bit more. He's a second round pick. He's supposed to be a really good player, uh, and you know, kind of. They didn't bill him as this, but he was billed as kind of a plug-and-play player. And a lot of people thought he was a guard. And maybe he is a guard. Maybe he's a, he's a damn good guard. I feel like I would be fine. I feel like I would want to have a damn good guard playing guard uh, than, than a damn good guard playing average tackle. That's just me. Absolutely. And I think that's still a good pick. It's not a bad yeah. pick if yeah. he doesn't play right tackle. You don't need, uh, you know, in the second round, if you get a good guard, you're pretty happy with that. So... They haven't had, you know, it's the second round has not been kind to them um, over the last few years. They didn't even have a second round pick when they picked Josh Allen. Um, but they, you know, Deion Dawkins, Zay Jones, and Cody Ford are the are the three. So mm-hmm. the book is out. Uh, I mean, obviously, Cody Ford's three practices into yeah. his NFL career. Yeah, so we can't we'll, write him off. You know, we'll see what, what they have there. But, um, it's a big year for their other two second round picks and, you know, seeing what they have um, in that regard. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Uh, you know, the joint practices in Carolina are going to be nice to see these guys against, you know, players they're not familiar with uh, and guys that, you know, it's a, it's a pretty damn group, damn good group in Carolina. So that's going to be a big test. And, you know, we still need a few more days and pads to, to get the real feel for, for what these guys are doing, but speed is speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not necessarily a pads issue, and Ford's got to you know handle the edge a, a little bit better than he has. Yep, agree. What have you made of Josh Allen so far? We haven't really hit on Josh. We hit on John Brown. I think he's been good. Yeah, same. Um, I think you know there's been some of the same issues have popped up. Similar types of throws, short right seems to be giving him some problems, but overall he seems more comfortable. When there's pressure, he's hanging in, and I know they, these guys can't hit him, so that's probably part of feeling a little bit of, of comfort. But hanging in there, letting routes develop, pushing the ball downfield, showing a command of the offense, all drastically different than a year ago, and you know I think gives this offense a chance to be one that can make a lot of big plays. It's a matter of staying on schedule we haven't seen too many boneheaded throws from josh allen which i agree you know we've i've missed them you know we've gotten those <laughs> we've got plenty of those last year um the interceptions he's he's thrown have been you know just slightly aggressive or you know too much velocity and it's bouncing off a guy's hands or, or little things like that but not not some of the boneheaded throws we saw in camp last year or during mm-hmm. games so yeah overall trending in the right direction and it seems like each day has been better than the next and I think today was his best day overall and I'll have to add up the numbers in terms of of what he did but I would be very surprised if it wasn't his best day completion percentage wise um, because he went the whole first part of practice and the ball wasn't hitting the ground which is what you want to see Mm -hmm. you know that's what Teams with good quarterbacks, that's what practice starts to look like uh, after a while is, you know, the ball isn't hitting the ground as often and and the offense is able to stay on schedule, which it seems like they did today. Josh Allen, when when you think 
of the term boneheaded throw, which one from last year comes to mind most? Probably Green Bay. Yeah, Green Bay without without question. Not even a hesitation. Yeah, that that one was pretty dumb. Yeah. But to what you said, that has not been a part of it. And again, we're three days in, but but people want to know about this stuff because, you know, any little, I guess, bit of progress that Josh Allen makes, people are going to want to know about because this is the guy that they have in, invested in so heavily. And I agree. I, I've outside of some overthrows to Cole Beasley on some short targets where, that he still needs to really get himself uh, going with because, you know, Cole Beasley can be an absolute asset to him on short distances, on checkdowns even, um, because he can find the weak parts of the zone or, you know, weak parts of the coverage. And then, again, on third downs. Third downs, he should absolutely be his best friend. But then again, I, I still want to see him incorporate everybody. And, I mean, we're sitting here talking about the tight ends, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Robert Foster, even Andre Roberts popped up. But again, to the Zay Jones thing, like you have to, if he's a good enough player and he and the coaching staff entrusts him that much to be able to do all these things and to be out on the field and to be a potential starting receiver, which it seems like they're gearing themselves toward, you got to figure it out. So that's kind of a progress I want I want to see from him. I know there's going to be one day where Zay Jones just pops because it happens. It happens almost every year with him. So I, that's you know. He's got a good base. Today was really good. The throws he made all down the field to John Brown twice, to Robert Foster twice, they were beautiful. They were beautiful passes. Um, and he didn't have to make, uh, he didn't have to make uh, John Brown or Robert Foster work too hard for them. I mean, Foster should have worked harder than he did, but you know he, he probably should have come down with at least one of those two passes. But I'm glad you brought up the short right thing because there's one from today that I remember. I think it might have been the first one he threw. He threw it to the flat to, to, La- to LaShawn McCoy. Shady caught it, but it was, it was he, he had hit the ground. He had to hit the ground. He had to do a 360 yeah. to catch it because he was Shady was um, you know his momentum was taking him towards the sideline and up the field, and it was just totally behind him, and he had to basically catch catch it and uh, like I said, the 360. So th- those are the areas he needs to get better. Um, and it, that's not totally t- uncommon, the short right yeah. thing. I remember talking to Joe Licata about it at some point last year, and it's a footwork thing. It's a he, he tends to rush and not get his body all the way around, and so it's not a totally uncommon problem. It's a problem that defenses almost definitely have picked up on, um, which could lead to some issues. But you know, he's at least they're at least drilling it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first day, I think that's what gave him some problems uh, in the short area in the red zone is, you know, naturally when you're down in the red zone close to the goal line, you're going to have some of those throws. And if you can't hit them, then that takes away a whole side of the field for the defense mm-hmm. that they don't really need to worry about and really limits your red zone offense. So something he'll have to get the hang of at some point, but the chunk plays are going to be there for this offense. And you can build an offense that way Mm -hmm. and you can you know a 50 yard completion to john brown is points it it should be and on almost any drive and so i think you get two of those a game whether one's the robert foster or one's the you know john brown those plays that can flip you know the the field for you 
you can build an offense that way and mm-hmm. it, and it, you can definitely make some noise so we'll see how it continues to come together uh, in the next few weeks but it's been encouraging but you i feel like i've seen more in these first three days than i did in the spring which yeah. is kind of the nature of the spring in some ways but he's you know he gets more comfortable as he's able to to get into a rhythm and seems even more comfortable when pads are on and and the bodies are flying and it it's more like real football and he's not thinking as much yeah that first one to john brown he stepped into the pocket and i forgot yeah, a about lot that of people of were thinking it was a sack but no, I, he wasn't he really touched perfectly. and he's not really an easy guy to sack it's always tough to figure out what's a sack in in training camp because you know these guys can't hit the quarterback but mm-hmm. You know, Trent Murphy, that was one of the plays where he got into the backfield. and I think it was and, on a stunt, and they confused and there was, Felice. Yeah, know. there was two guys that were in the backfield, but Allen reacted really quickly, climbed the pocket, kept his eyes downfield, and, and chucked it. And, you know, that was probably his most impressive throw of camp so far. And mm-hmm. came back not five minutes later and found John Brown again. John Brown had over 100 yards in a span of five minutes, just yeah. like that. And yeah. that's where, you know, this offense can – can really you know make plays in a hurry it could there could be some peaks and valleys given the way josh allen has a tendency to run hot and cold but the highs are at least going to be significant and you know we'll see if defenses find a way to to take it away but it's not going to be easy with allen's arm and with with brown's speed and and allen's almost you know he he just loves those throws and he's almost well, not almost. He is more accurate on those throws mm-hmm. than he is on ones that should be easy, which is kind of funny. Yeah, actually quite funny. Um, we spent all this time on the offense. I, just a couple of notes I had about the defense from the first few days. One, I think that cornerback competition between Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson is going to be awesome all summer long. I mean, Levi got burned by um, John Brown, as one does in, in this training camp, and then he came back and had a couple of different pass breakups on deep passes, and he, he didn't let it get to him. And you got to love that about Levi Wallace. And then Kevin Johnson, he broke up a Robert Foster pass, and, I mean, he bounced back from a, a pretty – you know, a pretty comical beat by Cole Beasley when he was doing one-on-ones and he was covering Beasley um, as the nickel corner. And Beasley just, he, he put one foot in the dirt, went outside, and then Kevin Johnson ended up on the ground. That's how that's how good the move was. Um, so, but as a boundary corner, Kevin Johnson and, and Levi Wallace have both brought it so far. So I, I've, I've really liked what, what we've seen for both those guys so, so far. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to go any further without mentioning this guy. Tremaine Edmonds looks like a monster out there. He is everywhere. We're talking tackles, reading the play, breaking up passes. He just, you know, one of the Bills PR guys was like, he's a unicorn because you, you don't you don't actually see middle linebackers built like him and you don't see guys that are built like him move like him and to have the wherewithal and to do it as a just turned 21 year old i mean you know again you have to you have to say okay it's only been 3 days in training camp so you don't you want to temper those things a little bit but oh my goodness is Tremaine Edmonds miles from where he was this time last year it's i mean he he looks like one of the best defenders on the field through the first 3 days they have a lot of talent on defense oh do I they mean, ever you know between Tredavious White Tremaine Edmonds Jordan Poyer Micah Hyde Ed Oliver's still coming along uh, and has mostly been with the second team. But, you know, 
in pads today, you started to see some of what makes Ed Oliver at Oliver in terms of his quickness and his pa- the pad level that he plays with is is probably the most unusual thing to watch um, because he's just so we haven't really seen a defensive tackle um, quite like that. I mean, Kyle Williams obviously has a, a certain pad level just being so short. Yeah, but, he did the damn thing um, for a long time. You know, and but in terms of he's you know Ed Oliver is going to be a lot different than than Marcel Darius in that regard. And I don't know, I'll be interested to see how he starts to stack days on, on top of each other because, you know, it was hard to really judge him without pads because, you know, he's quick. But once these guys can get their hands on him, you know, that's where you want to see what he can do. But the fact that he's rotating in, you know, with the second team tells you what what type of rotation they have up front. I think the second team defensive line has been – maybe one of the surprises for me mm-hmm. because I didn't think – I still don't think defensive line is one of the strengths of this team, uh, especially on the edge. But Mike Love has been pretty good. Yeah, um, I agree. And I did not expect that. And, you know, so you have Shaq Lawson and, and Mike Love, you know, on the second team defensive line. It's not terrible. I know Shaq Lawson is – he is who he is at this point, but he's not a bad guy to have as your third defensive end. And Trent mm-hmm. Murphy's been – you know, better than he was at this point a year ago. Jerry Hughes is Jerry Hughes. Uh, it's a pretty good eight-man rotation up front, and that's the way they like to operate. There's still a, a need long-term for a, you know another edge rusher, but I, I like I like what that group has, has done so far, and you know it's early, but we'll see uh, how it continues to, to come together. Absolutely, and we'll talk about more defense as uh, more podcasts come along. Um, what we have now, uh, Sunday, they have day four of training camp practice. They have Monday off. And then Tuesday, they get uh, back to it uh, here at St. John Fisher College. And then before you know it, the training camp's going to be over, at least in terms of, of St. John Fisher College. But we will talk to you at some point next week after they return from their from their one day off. Uh, and the Bills, they're, they're knee-deep into training camp now, and it won't be long before the first preseason game, so it's going to be fun. So for Matthew Fairburn uh, of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscott. Wow, I, I just effed up my name. Doesn't know his own name. I don't know. I, it's I, only day three. I have no identity. I don't know what day it is. Um, Joby's the type of guy disappears when the pads come on. <laughs> He's Des Lewis. How Can't dare even pronounce his own name. How dare you, Mr. <laughs> Ass. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week uh, when, when the Bills get back to St. John Fisher College. See you then.